Welcome to Iowa Nature Notes, your link to the outdoors, brought to you by Iowa County Conservation and Lake Iowa Nature Center. My name is Mary Bolger, and I'm the naturalist here. I'm Cecilia Higgin, and I am the ranger naturalist. And I am Chris Anderson, I am the director. So today, uh, we thought we would do a podcast, uh, a few different topics today, since it's October. We thought we would talk about some animals that kind of get a bad rap. Sometimes it's termed unhuggable animals like spiders and snakes and bats. But we also thought we might talk a little bit about what we are afraid of. So, Chris, would you like to begin? With snakes or with what I'm afraid of? Uh, How about with some snakes. We'll talk about snakes All first. Right. Uh, how many poisonous snakes are there in the state of Iowa? Oh, I know. Do you know how many, Cecilia, do you know how many poisonous snakes are in the state of Iowa? I do not. You do not. Take a guess. How many poisonous species, not, not individuals, but how many species, species of poisonous snakes are in the state of Iowa? I'm going to go with three. It's less than three. Two. Oh, it's I less th- than two. I thought it was more than three. No. Oh, really? It's less than two. One. Less than one? Zero? Zero. (laughs) There are no poisonous snakes in the state of Iowa. Oh, I see what you're doing there. So it's venomous, you mean, right? No, I said poisonous, but yeah, there are no poisonous snakes. There are venomous snakes in the Mm -hmm. state of Iowa, and there would be uh, the eastern timber rattlesnake. Mm Mm-hmm. There are Massasago rattlesnakes, mm-hmm. there are prairie rattlesnakes, and potentially in one county <laughs> in extreme southeastern Iowa, there might be water moccasins. Copperheads. 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 Okay. Yep. Which is also a cottonmouth. Correct? Um, I'm not sure about that. I think that term kind of gets gets mixed up a little bit because I always thought that copper, or I'm sorry, cottonmouths were more in warmer regions, so down in the south. Maybe water moccasins and cottonmouths are the yeah. same thing. But, co- yeah. but there can be potentials yes. for copperheads, but very, mm-hmm. very slight potential. Yeah, so, that's what I thought for. <laughs> okay, so you'll have to go, what, what's the difference between venomous and poisonous? I'm glad you asked that, <laughs> So uh, venom is injected. And poison is ingested. Okay. So if we had rattlesnake venom in a shot glass, you could, as long as you didn't have like a cut in your mouth or an ulcer, like some way to get it directly into your blood, it wouldn't harm, it's a protein. It wouldn't harm you if you were to ingest it. If you had a cut in your arm and you poured your arm, or if you had a cut in your mouth, or you had an ulcer and you drank it, bad juju. Yeah, you would mm. not want to do that. So it's the difference. It's how it gets into your body. That's why their fangs are like hypodermic needles. It has to be injected into the bloodstream. Mm. Neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So a vast majority of the snakes in Iowa are non-venomous constrictors. Mm-hmm. Hognose snakes, are they venomous or non-venomous? Non, I think. 
it changes. It's kind of like the eastern towhee is every once in a while a spotted towhee. You know how the ornithologists change that occasionally? Uh-huh. Uh, western hognose, the definition of whether a western hognose snake is, or hognose snakes are venomous changes because they have a venom, but it is specific to amphibians. Okay. So since it doesn't affect humans, I'm not sh- there are scientists who study venom, and I don't know what the terminology is for them. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't affect humans, for, it'll be they'll be like ten years where they don't count it as a venom because it doesn't affect humans. Okay. Um, and then for like ten years they will, you know, they flip flop back and forth. Mm-hmm. And interesting thing about hognose snakes is their fangs are at the back of their mouth. Not the front of, not like a classic rattlesnake where you have two big fangs right at the front. So they've mm-hmm. got them at the back. And one of the theories they have is that, so like if they're eating a toad and the toad inflates as toads are wont to do, mm-hmm. they'll puncture themselves oh. with these fangs at the back. Okay. And, the, and that venom is very specific to amphibians and I think more specific to toads than anything else. Neat. So fun fact. So I have a question about a word you said. You said something about constrictors. Yeah. What does that word mean? What does it mean to be a constrictor? It means to to wrap around something and crush it before you eat it. Okay. That's what that's what kills like garter snakes are a constrictor. Mm -hmm. If you if you give them a worm, they try and wrap around it, Mm -hmm. and before they eat. Fox snake or bull snake eating a mouse, they're gonna grab it if it's alive and they crush it. And then they swallow it head first. And so most of the snakes that we have here in Iowa are constrictors. Yep. Then. And then a few are venomous. <laughs> yes, very few. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, that's hyperbole. A lot of people that I talk to who fish a lot swear they've seen water moccasins. It doesn't matter where. In northern Iowa, it, it all over the place. They see them. What you're seeing is a northern water snake. Mm-hmm. Non-venomous. Mm-hmm. Unpleasant. <laughs> yes. But non-venomous. Yep. They, they can be surprisingly aggressive for mm-hmm. a constrictor. Um, and I believe they produce an anticoagulant in their saliva. So if you get bit by one, it is an unpleasant experience. I've not been bit, but I talked to people who have, and I uh-huh. guess you you bleed. Okay. Like bad. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to get bit by a snake as a general rule. Yeah. Bull snakes can make you really sick. They have a lot of bacteria in their mouth. Think of like a what are the Gila monsters have actual venom, but uh-huh. the but the Komodo dragons, they mm. they just have they produce a lot of nasty bacteria in their mouth, and that's how they kill their prey, and mm-hmm. bull snakes produce a lot of nasty bacteria in their mouth too. Okay. So try not to get bitten by a snake. Okay. So we're also talking about fears here, and I know that some people are really, really afraid of snakes. Mm-hmm. Snakes are one of my favorite animals. <laughs> Why do you guys think um, so many people are so afraid of snakes? Well, there are deeper philosophical reasons, but like, I think it's uh, the to, so like the stories you l- learn when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
generally snakes are not the good guy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of misconceptions about snakes. Mm -hmm. um, stemming from old stories. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, Jungle Book, prime example. Mm -hmm. Like the snake yep. hypnotize and Mo From, you know, stuff from books and from movies that, that you snakes hear. Snakes on the plane. Growing up, oh my God. <laughs> That's... A Wonderful movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, it's out there in the media. Maybe some people have had a bad experience with a snake or heard a bad story. Or I think some of it is also just learned from other people. You hear people talking badly about snakes and that they always bite and that they're all poisonous and that um, they're not a, you know, beneficial part of the environment which they are very much a beneficial part of the environment because they um, eat a lot of pests. Smaller snakes will eat a lot of insects. Larger snakes will eat a lot of rodents, two of the things that we don't really like to have around or even in our houses. So they help us out a lot. When my dad was a young boy, he was working for a farmer up in Elmahee County, and uh, he was shoveling ear corn out of a corn crib. And... Uh, he stuck the shovel in and a big bull snake came out, huge bull snake, and he ended up killing the bull snake. And he was proud as punch of that fact. And so he took the dead bull snake up to the farmer's house and uh, the farmer sent him packing, sent him home and didn't pay him because he had been raising that bull snake in the corn crib to eat the rats oh. for years. Oh. And he didn't know. Yeah. My grandma, when I was a kid growing up, my, my dad's mom, um, was of the opinion that every snake was a rattlesnake and every rattlesnake was specifically out to get us. Mm -hmm. It was a shoot first, ask questions later. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, a, that's a common fear. Mm -hmm. And I think something that moves around without legs, the way they move, yeah. it can just give some people the yeah. heebie-jeebies. They do move in a very specific way. Um... Not really like any other kind of animal movement. And if humans have a penchant for fearing what they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in a very, very, very negative way. Yeah. I think that's maybe one reason why the snakes are one of my favorite animals. And I really enjoy teaching with them and about them because there's a, a kid or even an adult in a group that I have. And I bring the snake out and I show it to them and show them that the snake isn't hurting me. I teach them a little bit about it. And then maybe by the end of the program, they actually will touch the snake or they'll actually um, not be quite as afraid of the snake. So I enjoy doing that, teaching about snakes. Uh, I was, because of growing up in the way I did, where it was a shoot first, ask question later in regard to snakes, uh, I was definitely afraid of snakes. And I got my first job as a naturalist working at Ponca State Park in Ponca, Nebraska. And the park superintendent, Jeff Fields, came up to me and said, um, I was going to do this program, but something came up. I need you to do it. You have 10 minutes. There's about 50 people coming. And I was like, all right, what is it? And he's like, I need you to go in and grab the fox snake out of that aquarium and be comfortable with it. You have 10 minutes. So I went in there and I took the lid off the aquarium and I got that snake out and I handled it and I did the program. And once the program started, he came and sat down 
because he didn't actually have to be anywhere. But he just knew I was afraid of snakes and <laughs> needed me to get over that fear. Yeah. And uh, after, I've not had a problem with snakes since. Cool. Neat. Well, what about um, Cecilia? So we are also going to be talking just maybe a little bit about bats because bats are another one of those animals that kind of have a bad rap. Um, and maybe there's some myths about out there kind of floating around about them. So what can you tell us a little bit about bats? Bats are a neat animal that we have around here. They're actually adorable. If you've ever seen one up close, they are cute. They're like, <laughs> if you've seen a mouse, how cute mice are, mm-hmm. it's a flying mouse, they're adorable. Uh, one of the biggest myths is that bats will attack people, and usually they're just flying close to you to get the insects that are near you, so you don't have to be afraid of them. Mm-hmm. They don't usually have rabies. Rabies occurs in less than half, 1% of bats. Less than 1%? Yes. I believe you. I just want to make sure I got the number right. Yes. That's low. It is. It is really low. That is one of the, the things that I always hear um, when people have fears about bats is they all have rabies. They're going to bite me. I'm going to get sick and get rabies. If you've ever held a bat, and seeing how small their teeth and jaws are, mm-hmm. you would realize how insanely silly the concept that a bat is going to bite you mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. You'd feel pretty foolish. Mm-hmm. How, will they make nests in your hair? That's <laughs> uh, that's a scientific fact, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yes. They're not interested in your hair, um, <clears throat> and they're really not looking to make a nest there. They actually prefer to live in caves far away from humans as they can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look for homes that they can get into a small dark space so that they won't be bothered while they hibernate. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to bats, I know some people find them in their attics or garages or things like that. When they're doing that, um, are they just trying to find a a nice warm place to spend the winter or to hibernate in? Yes. Yeah. And if you can, it'd be best to just leave them alone. Mm-hmm. But if you need them to be taken out of your space, you can call a professional to come and take care of them for you. And also, if you could find where they're getting in and out, mm-hmm. if it's, especially if it's a, like they're obviously getting in this one spot, yeah. wait till dusk when they fly out, mm-hmm. cover that hole, and they aren't, then and you won't have to destroy them. They can mm-hmm. they can go someplace else and find another place to to roost. Okay. Have, I was at a presentation a few years ago at a thing called Winterfest, which is where all the county conservation boards get together and their educational sessions. And there was a session on bats, and they found out that the red bat that. They migrate, but they migrate to like the southern Missouri or central Missouri and they burrow into the leaf litter. They go just kind of far enough south that there's not a ton of snow Uh and then they burrow in the leaf litter and that's where they hibernate. They learn this doing prescribed burns like bats would all of a sudden start popping up during (laughs) the day and so they actually changed... (laughs) 
the way that they do prescribed burns in parts of Missouri, yeah. because of the research they found, where they found that these bats, they pushed back their burns because these bats are um, later into the spring, because these bats are uh, are hibernating on the ground, basically, in the leaf litter. That's Which, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So let's say I'm a homeowner and um, I, there are bats not necessarily hibernating over the winter in my house, but they, they, they find shelter in my house <clears throat> and I don't care that they're there. What, what are some benefits of having them around? Um, you know, when they just come in and out at night? Uh, bats eat a ton of insects. They... Uh, can eat 1,000 mosquitoes an hour. So if wow. you don't like mosquitoes... I don't. Those bats are your friend. I definitely don't like mosquitoes. They like all sorts of other bugs, too. I really like June bugs. Yeah. So... Go ahead. How do, how do bats... <clears throat> how do bats find their prey? They use echolocation. So they will send out a sonar sound from and then they'll listen for it and it, as that sound comes back to them they can tell how far away it is cool so they use that to get around and find the insects at night neat um if you're ever walking on a trail here at lake iowa or, or any place where there's forest and a nice trail cut through it and you're finding butterfly wings on the trail that's from bats they fly up and down the trails because they're like hallways for them. Mm -hmm. And when they hit the body, the wings just boop, pop off either side <laughs> of their mouth and fall to the ground. Huh. So a lot of times when you're finding lots of butterfly wings in the trail or moth wings, um, it's from specifically from bats catching butterflies flying on those trails. That's neat. That's really neat. Fun stuff. Yeah. So do all bats eat insects? Do all bats eat insects? No. Nope. So, do what about here in Iowa? Are most bats eating insects though? Yes. Or I think all bats eat, eat insects. In Iowa, in all Iowa. bats eat insects. Yeah. But other parts of the world, what are some other things that that bats will eat? Fruit. Fruit. Yeah, you know, flying foxes, which are huge. They eat their fruit bat. Mm -hmm. And there are other species of fruit bat. Flying fox is one that mm -hmm. sticks in my sticks in my mind. And I do know also that there are some bats that are actually considered pollinators because they will visit uh, in the southwestern part of the United States. Mm -hmm. They will visit big cacti that have very large kind of bell-shaped flowers, and they'll drink the nectar, mm -hmm. and then they'll help pollinate those cacti. Is the is the nectar supplemental to eating insects? Do you know? You know, I think there are some species that will that will do both mm -hmm. that are insectivores, so they'll eat insects, but then like, they'll also drink nectar. Like hummingbirds mm -hmm. actually eat a lot of insects. They do. A majority of what their yep. diet is is insects. Yep. And the the nectar or sugar mm -hmm. water they eat from our feeders yep. is supplemental. It's mm -hmm. not. Yep, I think there are species that will do both. Now, what Same about? Logical. Yeah. What about you? One of those big myths that I always hear is all bats are, will suck your blood. They'll bite you and they'll suck your blood. What about that? 
There is a vampire <laughs> bat. Um, it lives in Central and South America. Uh, they lick lick the blood of cows and chickens and other animals out there. Okay. But out of the 1,200 species of bats, only three of them are vampire bats. And they have don't live anywhere near us. Have you seen a video of that? Uh-uh. I've seen night vision. Uh, I have too. It's video. really interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> they like walk up to them like yep. a cow. And they have, in their saliva, they have an anticoagulant and a numbing agent. So, and, and the bat is relative to the cow is tiny and the, the cow doesn't even wake up. Mm-hmm. They just get the blood they need. And yep. They do. It's like, it's like a mosquito biting them. They don't even yeah. feel it. And then they lick up a few laps of blood and try not to get stepped on yeah. and then, and then go. <laughs> and they don't turn into vampires. Nope. Fun fact. And it doesn't harm the cow or no. the horse or livestock, whatever, whatever they're, they're finding. So. It'd be kind of cool if they did become vampires. <laughs> Vampire cats. It'd be exciting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so we talked about snakes and we talked about bats. Now I have a, a little maybe quiz for you guys about spiders, okay? So I have some spider facts and myths. And so I'm going to ask you guys a question and I want you to give me your answer, whatever you guys think about that. So... Um, do all spiders spin or make webs? Do all spiders make no. webs? No. Chris says no. What do you think? I Chrissy? agree with no. Okay. And so you're correct. All spiders will spin the silk in which they make their, um, some make webs. Um, but spiders use their silk for other, other things, which we can talk about in a little bit. But some of them are uh, what we call ambush hunters. And so they will sit and wait for something to fly or crawl by an insect. And then they will ambush. They'll jump on it. They'll inject their venom to um, make kind of paralyze that insect. And then what they'll do is with their silk, they will spin. They'll wrap it up. And... That venom also, with most spiders, will liquefy the insect. And so then they will drink that insect when it liquefies like an insect smoothie. Mm. Yeah, sound good, right? Yummy. Lots of protein. Um, (laughs) So, talking about webs, those um, spiders that do spin webs to catch their, catch flying insects or other things to catch their food, are all webs considered cobwebs no no so there are you guys are correct there are lots and lots of different kinds of webs out there um just a few to name a few there are cobwebs and cobwebs are those things you find up in the corner of your room um that have no kind of shape or um you know no kind of real structure Uh, those are usually made by common house spiders um but there are also uh, webs that are called orb webs. And so those are the ones that have the spokes that come out from the center and then circles that go all the way around. They can kind of vary in size. Those are made by several different kinds of spiders. But there are also, there's also a web called a funnel web. And if you can imagine a funnel that's big at the top and then gets smaller as you go inside. And those kinds of webs are made a lot by wolf spiders because 
They don't necessarily want to catch the insects in that web, but what they do want to do is funnel the insect to where the hole is, where there's no web, and guess what's waiting for them in that hole? The spider. The wolf spider. That's right. So the spider to catch them. Crushing it today. Yep, you are. You are. So there, and there are many, many other kinds of webs too. So last year, in our basement window, a wolf spider made a funnel web between the screen and the glass. Cool. So it's like having an ant farm <laughs> with this giant wolf spider in it. <laughs> and we used to just go down there and sit mm. and watch and wait along with the spider. It was, it was like slow television. Hmm. Not a lot happened, but it was still cool. <laughs> so another one for you guys. So there are some people, if they find a spider in their house, they'll smash it. Which isn't a good thing because, again, spiders are very beneficial. They eat lots of um, insects and they don't, won't necessarily or even you know, care about us or, or want to bite us. But some people are being nice, and I'm doing air quotes right now, and they take the spider and they put it outside in the wintertime. Is that being nice to the spider? Is that a good thing? Or should you just leave it inside your house to catch the insect, the bugs? Uh, you should leave inside the house catch the insects or bugs. Yeah. Okay. Cece, what do you think? I think the nicer thing would be to leave it inside. Okay. And you guys are correct again. Good job. So why would it not be nice to put it outside? Because they're ploichiotherms. Okay. What's a ploichiotherm? Yes. What is that means they're cold-blooded. They don't generate really? their death. Yeah. They don't generate their own body heat. Mm -hmm. And so you put them outside, it ruins their whole day. Yeah. And their life. Yeah. <laughs> and their life. Definitely. So if you find that common house spider, which we find a lot of in your in your house, just leave it in there because every now and then you might have a fruit fly or a house fly or something like that. And that um, spider is going to catch that. It'll provide a meal for the spider. It'll keep the insects from um, out inside your house. So um, I also have a, a one more for you guys. And this one is kind of a funny one. So anywhere you are in the world, wherever you are, there's always a spider no more than three feet away from you. Have you guys heard that one before? I've... I think I, I have. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Okay. I can see spider webs in that window. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that is more than three feet away from me. That's is... less than three feet from yeah. you. Yeah, okay. But it We're is all, outside. Yeah. <laughs> I also fully believe that there's a spider within three feet of me. Okay. And it doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Cece, what do you think? Yeah, spiders could be anywhere and they don't really bother me either. Okay. So that one actually, not true. So um, you hear that, but it really depends on where you are. Sure, if you're like, um, um, maybe outdoors where there's lots of insects or lots of grasses and plants, possibly. Um, or if you're at a museum in a spider exhibit, maybe, definitely. But um, you can definitely be places that, you know, we don't have spiders. So that's mm. one of those kind of those um, true myths out there about them. So Yeah, so, like Antarctica, you're not going to Yeah, definitely spiders. not. And yeah, being outdoors in the cold, especially, it can be a little bit more seasonal, um, you know, if there are more spiders or less spiders, so. I would bet you in this building, though. Yeah, I know we have a lot of spiders in this building because whenever I need to go do a spider program, 
Cece finds me a spider, or I might find a spider, and I can take a live one with me to a program. Yeah. <laughs> I would bet that if three feet wouldn't be exactly true in this building, but, yeah. but you're never more than 20 feet from a yeah. spider in here. Yep. That's a beautiful Possibly. thing. Yeah. What did I wrangle for your program yeah, the other day? A wolf spider? Um, you found this awesome striped wolf spider, the, the kind with the brown and black striped legs. And so wolf spiders are pretty cool to me because they have lots of little hairs um, all over their bodies. And, and we put it in this little magnifying insect container. And so the kids could see all those little hairs. And they were just like, oh, cool, I can see its hairs. And they loved it. So, <laughs> true or false, daddy long legs are the most venomous spider in the world, but their jaws are too weak to bite you. Um, false. What? False. But I've heard every third grader I in know. the state of Iowa yep. tell me that they know for a fact. Yep. And then their parents who are with them generally exactly, agree. Exactly, exactly. Um, so two things. there thing, multiple problems two, with that? Two things about that, okay? Daddy long legs aren't actually true spiders. And the reason they are not true spiders is because of their body structure. So spiders have two main body parts. They have their head and they have a um, body part called the septothorax. So it is their abdomen and their thorax, which comes from insect body parts too, um, that are fused together, two main body parts. With the daddy long legs, they only have one main body part. Their head, thorax, and abdomen are all just one. And they do have the eight legs. So, you know. They're an arachnid. They are an arachnid, eight legs and... Um, so, but and yes. So are ticks. Yes, and mites. Yeah. And scorpions. Yeah, and lobsters. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Anything crawdads. Oh. Are arachnid. They have eight legs. Neat. Yeah. Learned something new. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yep, I've always heard that one about the daddy. What about legs. the venom though? They're so venomous, right? Ha. Uh, so the venom, the venom thing. So I know that there are different types of daddy long legs. The majority of them do not eat insects and things like that. What they really focus on are dead and decaying plant materials. So, so they're vegan. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so they, that's why we always find a lot of them in the forest because they're crawling around on the, on the uh, leaves and the grass. And what they use their mouth parts for are scraping the dead and decaying plant materials and that's what they're, that's what they're eating. So. Yeah. Not, Very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, any other questions about spiders or were we going to talk a little bit about some of our fears? Yeah. I yeah. want to go around the table okay. and talk about, like, not necessarily big picture fears, but, like, okay. is there anything you are afraid of <laughs> in, in nature? And, okay. and it doesn't have to be like hiking in Iowa, hiking anywhere in North America. Is there anything that you are afraid of? Okay. You want to? I would start with Cecilia. Okay. Uh, My fear when I go out hiking in Iowa is um, invasive species. Yeah. Is it it crippling? It is almost crippling when I see the honeysuckle and the autumn olive growing around me. 
and the garlic so, mustard. Yeah. It's uh, kind of terrifying. You to must see be it encroaching. Terrified when you go out in the park here, like <laughs> in some places. But less and less terrified all the time because yeah. we are. That is true. We're making efforts and we're yep. making progress. We've yep. got some real toeholds around mm-hmm. the park since last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit of a peace of mind. Yes. With that. Okay. It can be cool. taken care of. Cool. All right. My turn. Yeah. Okay. So I like spending time outdoors and I, I'm really not afraid of any kind of animal or critters or anything or invasive species do bother me but they don't terrify me like they do cc um but when i am out and about and there are it is hunting season and maybe there aren't some aren't people out there being as safe as they could be um not following you know all of those safety rules and stuff like that that makes me think a lot about when I'm out and about in those those kind of situations. So it's not critters. It's a little bit more people. People. Yeah. <laughs> Animals are generally more rational. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there are things you can do. I I always recommend wearing blaze oranges if not, you're not hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Just to make your, give yourself that visible background. Yeah. Um, and hunters aren't necessarily just blasting away no willy-nilly but as a hunter sometimes something gets in uh, what your your core you're looking for can just trigger tunnel vision Mm -hmm. that it's not malicious it's Mm -hmm. just your adrenaline gets pumping and Mm -hmm. you don't realize what's beyond you yep um so yeah that's a that's a valid valid concern Mm -hmm. i wear blaze orange even when i'm riding my big horse just so that everybody can see that I'm out there. When I was a kid and lived in Montana, I knew guys that would go out and spray paint in blaze orange on the side of their horse, horse, <laughs> and on the side of their cow, cow. If you have a lot of cattle, you don't do it, but if you just had a few, they'd go out and spray. At, in Montana, there's a, a, a or out west, there's a, 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 they sometimes call cows slow elk as a joke because every year somebody who's not used to hunting elk will shoot a cow mm. because they they think it's so mm. yeah it's you gotta be careful okay what and, about you chris ticks oh not necessarily ticks but lyme disease okay as someone who spends a lot of their personal time and work time outdoors mm-hmm. and knowing people who've gotten Lyme disease mm-hmm. every once in a while it pops into my head and like when my especially when my kids are playing outside yeah but it, can I edit my answer now too I worry about ticks a little bit as well because yeah we're always outside tromping through the grass and that's where you seem to kind of pick them up most of the time and so, always got to do that tick check every yeah. single day. And, and We have a tick jar at our house that Ooh. we just do, <laughs> like, tick check. Living in a park, your tick yeah. checks are just, like, yep. an absolutely daily part of the summer life. Yep. So I really enjoy this time of year into winter when mm-hmm. 
You don't have to worry so much about it. So much, yeah. yeah. Still now, you can. Yeah. I'll find tips mm -hmm. after, when I go, you know, bow hunting, or yep. if I get a deer, and mm -hmm. yeah, you find quite a few ticks on them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say ticks are the one. The little things are what. Okay. Or uh, and mosquitoes and uh, West Nile, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. I don't. It's not crippling though. I still go mm -hmm. out. I don't. Yep. Lock myself indoors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, before we go, I do want to put a couple of reminders out there about some upcoming events that we do have. Um, this weekend, actually, on September 27th, we are having a seed harvesting program here at Lake Iowa Park. Um, later in November, we're going to be having a program about turkeys. If you've ever wanted to learn more about wild turkeys here in Iowa, come, um, that one is going to be November 10th. And then later in November, we're going to be having a suet making program, um, where you get to learn a little bit how to make some suet and feed birds over the winter. And then we have a few other programs coming up in December, but I will let you guys, um, Go on to our website, which is iowacountyconservation.org. You can find all the information about our upcoming programs there. Also, if you go onto our Facebook page and like Lake Iowa Park, you can find information on there as well. So anything else you guys would like to add or say for today? Hmm. If people would contact us with ideas for topics they would like to hear us talk about yes that would be if great you're downloading this and listening to it and listening mm -hmm. to our other podcasts um, even if it's something we've covered before or it might be something we missed we can cover again mm -hmm. we try to do them with a seasonal spin to them like october halloween scary mm -hmm. animals or mm -hmm. things that scare us mm -hmm. Last year, in November, we did turkeys. That yep. was our very first podcast. It was. We're almost to our one year, oh, year anniversary. One year anniversary. I'm sorry, I hit the table. I got excited. Um, <laughs> one year anniversary coming up, so uh, maybe we can do a, a, a look back. A look back. At the first year. Okay. We can do that. Do best of highlights. <laughs> clip show. But seriously, if you have requests, please contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, otherwise, I don't have anything else. Okay. Cecilia? All animals are lovable. Oh, yes. I tie it back. I would agree with that. I love all animals and all critters out there. And every single animal is a very important part of nature. If you took one out, there'd be something missing. And it would affect the whole ecosystem. So. If you took one species out. Yes. Okay. Not necessarily individuals. Yes. Okay. Correction. As the hunter at the table. Yes. All right. Well, um, that's all we have for you here at um, for our podcast. And thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.